Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for March 28th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news and then present an interview with Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie from the set of Avengers Infinity War. This is Slash Film senior writer Ben Pearson, and joining me today is Slash Film weekend editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writers Y Choi and Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. How's it going, guys? Uh, let's Thank dive you. right into the news. Um, we do have... Uh, Peter was able to record some on-set uh, audio with uh, the guys from Avengers Infinity War. We've been writing a ton of Avengers coverage on the site, so we'll end today's podcast episode with that interview. But in the meantime, let's get into some news stuff. Um, I guess sort of staying in the superhero world. Brad, tell us what's been going on with the canceled Deadpool show that Donald Glover was a part of. Yeah, so over the weekend came the surprising news out of nowhere uh, that both Donald Glover and FX were leaving the Deadpool animated series that initially got a 10-episode straight-to-series order last year. Um, the the only reason cited for the two, uh, for Donald Glover and FX parting in the series was quote-unquote creative differences, which is something we hear a lot. But it seems like that actually might be true, and maybe even in a more controversial way than we uh, had ever anticipated, because this morning, uh, Wednesday morning, um, everyone was talking about something that Donald Glover did on Twitter last night, which is he made one specific tweet saying he was like, he said, I wasn't too busy to write uh, the Deadpool series for FX, and then followed with 14 tweets, each of them containing a page to a Deadpool script he had written. Now, a lot of outlets are mistakenly reporting that these pages are from what he wrote for the Deadpool series. But if you read it, you'll note, realize that it's not something that he wrote for the series because, first of all, that would be illegal for him to share those scripts because they don't belong to him. Uh, and second of all, the script itself is basically a, a short Deadpool episode about why the show was canceled, and in it contains plenty of cryptic and definitely not cryptic reasoning as to why Marvel maybe wasn't a fan of what Donald Glover was doing with the Deadpool series. 
Um, it's really a, a hilarious and fascinating read. It simultaneously gives us an idea of what Donald Glover would have done with Deadpool and also lays out the problems that it seems that he had um, with Marvel not being happy with what he did with the script. So um, this... Go ahead. No, you got it. I was just going to say, this contains a lot of references to things that have happened in the pop culture world in the past, like, 24 hours or something. So this is, like you were mentioning, it's not something that was already written. It's something that he essentially just wrote, like, on the fly, right? Yeah, exactly. There's uh, there's references to the recent uh, viral story about Beyonce being bitten at one of her parties that, t- that Tiffany Haddish apparently started as a thing. Uh, the whole episode itself is about Deadpool being hired to protect Sudan, the last surviving northern uh, white rhinoceros, which is something that happened last week. So th- there's a plenty of stuff in this script that is, or it's all recent, so it, it makes a clear indication that it's something that he wrote recently and wasn't part of the show. And it's really a fascinating read because like, it seems like Donald Glover is kind of bitter about this, actually. Um, and for good reason, because it seems like Marvel turned it down because Glover was turning it into something that contained maybe more obscure cultural references than they were expecting from him. I think they were expecting a lot more straightforward pop culture, uh, tongue-in-cheek, fourth-wall-breaking stuff from Deadpool. And while there is plenty of that stuff in here, he does seem to gear some of his references towards the African-American audience. And uh, he even makes light of the fact that maybe some of his jokes weren't landing, um, even specifically with the characters in the script itself. It's, It's honestly like... I really think that this is a brilliant piece of writing because it's it's meta in the way that Deadpool is, but it's also meta because it's about the show being canceled. And it really just shows how great of a writer Donald Glover is. And it kind of reminds me of the speed with which 30 Rock used to play out because he used to write on that show. And that was the kind of show where the jokes were flying fast all the time. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't necessarily always get all of them, but you would get a good amount of them. And so if you missed one, don't worry, there'll be another train that comes along in the next 30 seconds that you'll be able to laugh at. And I really wish that, you know, this, this show wouldn't have been bailed on because I would have loved to have seen what he could have done with this. So, Chris, I know you're not the biggest fan of the Deadpool movie starring Ryan Reynolds. Did you get a chance to look at these script pages? And if so, what did you think about this? Uh, yeah, I looked at them. I mean, I do agree that it's clever in the way that it portrays, you know, his disappointment and his, uh, I guess you could say, bitterness over the project. I don't think I really found any of it funny like the the very first joke is like a ben carson joke and i was just like all right i'm i'm not enjoying this instantly but <laughs> i do agree that it's it's clever uh ht are you bummed that we're not going to get a deadpool show from donald glover I'm a little bummed, but I will say, I want to plug, uh, you, sh- you guys should all see Atlanta, which is Donald Glover's other show going on right now, and it has that sort of same uh, sort of weird distance humor that he sometimes does that you're like not really sure if it's a joke or not, and um, so you can see some of that in uh, Atlanta, which is airing now, but yeah, it's the I'm a little disappointed that we're not getting one, but I don't have a huge connection to Deadpool. I also was kind of um, lukewarm on the, the first movie as well. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's more, he's he's a little bit more sad about it. Although I, I kind of aspire to the level of pettiness that he does by like, that he has by just get, putting out the script in like one night just <laughs> to basically like cl- both clear his name, but also make a few digs at Marvel. 
yeah, for sure. Um, let's talk about the fire and fa- uh, guys. I'm just gonna warn you right now. Peter is much better at transitions than I am, so I'm just going straight from one thing straight into the next. So I apologize if that's uh, odd or awkward in any way. But uh, Chris, let's talk about the Fire and Fury TV show that's based on the book about what a year inside the life of the the Trump White House, and this is actually becoming a show. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so uh, Michael Wolf, he's a reporter. Um, he he's basically spent an entire year in in the Trump White House. The first year, uh, he had unprecedented access, and he wrote this book called Fire and Fury, and it was a huge bestseller, and it created a big media buzz because it basically portrayed the the Trump administration as we pretty much all know they are, um, as you know, inept, terrible people. Uh, and now HBO is turning it into a series and they've hired Jay Roach to direct the series. Um, he has a history with HBO political things. He also directed game change for them. And he also directed a film called recount for them, which is about the, the 2000 uh, election when, uh, you know, there had to be a massive recount because it was so close and the game change was about the 2008 election. Mm. Uh, so Brad, I know you're probably a fan of Jay Roach, right? What do you think about him directing the show? I mean, honestly, for me, this feels like it's a little too early to do this. Um, you know, Game Change didn't come too long after the election where Sarah Palin was John McCain's running mate, but there was kind of a buffer time for us to let it go and get some perspective and be able to look back on it and be like, oh, remember that was a thing. But right now, I don't know, this just feels like pouring salt in, you know, a huge gaping wound. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, obviously, the, I think they want to strike while the iron is hot. Everyone is obsessed with anything and everything that's happening out of the Trump White House because it's some new amount of fresh hell that we're facing every single day of the week. So they want to get this out there. The book was a huge hit, obviously. So getting it out there makes perfect sense. But I just feel like... I think that it would benefit more just from having some hindsight and waiting a little while uh, after this presidency is long done before we actually go and start digging into the stories. Uh, HT, is this something you're excited about? Yeah, not particularly, just because I'm on the same boat as Brad, and I feel like we could benefit from some distance. Or the fact that this whole past year and a half of the Trump administration has felt like we're just completely uh, engulfed in this horrible sort of dumpster fire of a administration. And I don't really feel like I want to see more of that fictionalized um, or like thinly fictionalized on TV. Mm -hmm. I feel like I see enough of that in reality and, you know, reality and fiction have already started to blend together in DC itself. So why should I watch it on TV? Yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, let's turn to something on a lighter note, and that is the new Pixar short. That's got to be good news, right? So HT, tell us about that. Yeah, the new Pixar short that's going to be airing in front of The Incredibles 2, or I'm sorry, just Incredibles 2, uh, is called Bow. So it's a Pixar short that's directed by um, Pixar's first female shorts director. Uh, her name is Domi Shi, and it tells a story about a dumpling that comes to life. So it follows basically an empty nester Chinese mom who gets a second chance at motherhood when one of her dumplings springs to life. But at the same time, she must come to terms with the revelation that nothing stays small and cute forever. So it's a bittersweet sort of parent-child drama. It's an eight-minute short, and it's going to be premiering at the Tribeca Film Festival in April uh, before it uh, shows up in front of Incredibles 2 uh, in in June. 
Okay. Um, Chris, I know I tend to assign these stories to you uh, on the daily podcast uh, about things that you're not <laughs> entirely excited about all the time. And uh, I feel like that sort of gives you a bad name sometimes. I know that some of the Slash Film uh, audience, I guess, the readership sort of considers you to be uh, more of a grumbler than, uh, than some of the rest of us, which I don't think is entirely fair. But are you excited about the new Pixar short? I want to give you an opportunity to be excited about something. Yeah, it sounds cool. Uh, I will definitely watch it when it's available. Although, in keeping with my grumbliness, I just want to add that I'm one of those weirdos who doesn't really like when the shorts are in front of movies because I just want to see the movie. And uh, I think really this is just because I, I'm still having uh, <laughs> bad flashbacks to when Pixar put lava in front of uh, Inside Out, and it was like the worst thing I've ever seen. I thought you were so, going to talk about the Frozen short because that was, I still have PTSD from that. Yeah, I, I, I have yet to see that, but I, I remember just sitting in the theater and having to sit through lava and literally grinding my teeth down to powder because it felt like it was three hours long. But this sounds good. So. <laughs> That's good news. Good news. Well, All right. I'm, so, oh, go I'm ahead. I'm really excited about this one just because uh, it's going to be. Pixar, the Pixar short's first sort of foray into Chinese culture or Chinese-Canadian culture. So it's really exciting to see that as a Vietnamese-American and being able to see something uh, similar to my culture reflected on the screen. And hopefully that's a sign of future feature films to come from Pixar as well. Yeah, a lot of times Pixar uses the their shorts as sort of like a testing ground for, uh, you know, upcoming tech and stuff that they're developing for future features. So, yeah, here's here's hoping they uh, decide to do that because it's obviously a good idea to, uh, I mean, as we saw with um, Coco being like the highest grossing movie in Mexican cinematic history, it's, it's a good idea to embrace uh, cultural diversity as long as the story is good. So I think if, uh, that's something that would be smart to approach in the future. Um, Chris, let's talk about something else that you really liked, and that's Star Wars The Last Jedi. Uh, tell us about Mark Hamill's one scene that he wishes was not cut from the film. Oh, uh, yeah. So Last Jedi, it's now available on Blu-ray and has been on digital for a while. So you can actually watch this deleted scene if you have access to either of those things. But uh, it's a scene uh, early in the film. It comes right after Ray has, uh, you know, showed up on the island and told Luke that Han Solo is dead now. And it's a, a very quick but emotional scene where Luke uh, goes back into his little hut and he basically mourns for Han. And there's a match cut between Luke being upset and Leia being upset. And they're, they're like both thinking about Han. And uh, Mark, ha Mark Hamill said, you know, he, he wishes that was still in the film because even though it's a quick scene, it gives Luke a little more uh, time to, you know, show that he he's not the, you know, the gruff outsider that Last Jedi portrays him in. And, you know, a lot of people had trouble with Luke's portrayal in the film because he's not what uh, everyone came to expect. And that's actually a, a theme in the film that people seem to miss because they get very angry about it. But he seems to think if that scene had been included, there'd be a little less complaints because it would show that Luke does still care about things. He's just sort of bottling it up inside and hiding it. Uh, Brad, do you agree with Mark Hamill on this? Should that scene have stayed in the movie? Uh, yeah, I think it, it's, it is a very quick scene, but it's, uh, it does give a nice moment for Luke to reflect on, you know, the fact that one of his best friends, someone who he faced a lot with had passed away. Uh, so yeah, it's, I wish it would have been kept in this, in the movie. So let's keep the Star Wars train going and uh, talk about Vice Admiral Holdo, who is played by Laura Dern in the film. H.T., what do we know about her character, according to a new revelation from the actress? 
So we recently learned that uh, Vice Admiral Holdo is actually Force-sensitive. So Laura Dern re revealed this in an interview with Entertainment Weekly, coinciding with Last Jedi's Blu-ray and home video release. So she said in her quote, uh, in their minds and their understanding of their origin story, we know that she was a true rebel in the resistance. And in our culture, we might have called her a hippie. But she was longing for peace and a re revolutionary in that way and wanted to be trained in, by and led by Leia, who taught her everything that she knew. She wanted to come up in the ranks to support Leia's mission, but also had this otherworldly side that does involve the Force. So this kind of goes along with the um, theme of The Last Jedi, which pushed the democratization of the Force, emphasizing that the Force was everywhere and in everyone. And um, the fact that Holdo was Force-sensitive really plays into that. Chris, is this something that changes the way you think about this film now? Uh, I mean, I don't really think there's anything in the film that <laughs> gives me this indication, but I don't have a problem with it. I mean, you know, if anything, I wish we had gotten more uh, Holdo in the film, and I wish she had survived to be in the next film. But, I mean, like I said, I don't really pick up on this in the film itself, but I don't have any uh, issue with it either. I'm not going to be like, how dare she say this or anything like that. What do you think, Brad? Is there enough there for you to uh, to latch on to this interpretation of the character? No, I mean, if anything, maybe it'll just provide some fuel to make the character have some other interesting stories that I wouldn't be surprised to see them expand in things like comic books or uh, novels or things like that. Haldo was a pretty popular character with those who really liked The Last Jedi, and I think gave, giving her some other stories or having her appear... Uh, in other narratives and knowing this about her uh, could create some interesting threads. I don't think it's anything necessarily groundbreaking because <clears throat> you got to figure Maz Kanata is, you would can probably consider to be force sensitive uh, or at least force knowledgeable since she specifically says in force awakens that she knows the force. So being force sensitive doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, she has the same abilities as far as, you know, Jedi mind tricks and, and all that jazz. Mm -hmm. Uh, all right, so my last awkward transition of the day, hopefully, is uh, right into a new TV series from Amazon that might cost $1 billion. Brad, is that an accurate number? It is an accurate number, uh, and it's it's crazy. Um, Amazon is re just really thirsty. <laughs> uh, they, they've been trying to play catch-up with Netflix and Hulu ever since they started their own Prime Video service that had their own original programming. And they're really just trying to throw a bunch of money at whatever they can get their hands on to try and get a big hit on their hands. They, they've had plenty of shows that have been acclaimed, some that have even won awards. Transparent has won some Emmys. And they, they've put out some good stuff, but they're still trying to get you know a big hit. And they have their sights set on creating a show that is every bit as big, if not bigger, than HBO's Game of Thrones. And it seems like that they believe a adaptation of this book series called The Three-Body Problem or uh, better known as uh, the Remembrance of Earth's Past trilogy, could be the key to having a hit show. Um, apparently they're in talks to pick up the rights to what is a, a trilogy of books. Um, it, they were published in China and then published in the United States in 2008. It's a very popular series. Um, uh, it's a bestseller. Barack Obama even came out and said that it was one of the books that really kind of helped him escape from the stress of uh, the, the White House and had some really interesting and imaginative ideas. And so the hope is that Amazon can throw enough money at this to make this a big hit. And the intention is to have uh, a three season TV series, one season for each of the books. And it's just, the premise is interesting enough. Um, I'll, I'll read the, the quick synopsis here to give you an idea of what this is in case you don't know. 
Uh, set against the backdrop of China's cultural revolution, a secret military project sends signals into space to establish contact with aliens. An alien civilization on the brink of destruction captures the signal and plans to invade Earth. Meanwhile, on Earth, different camps start forming, planning to either welcome the superior beings and help them take over a world seen as corrupt, or to fight against the invasion. The result is a science fiction masterpiece of enormous scope and vision. So it's easy to see why a show like that would cost so much money, but at the same time, you know, with these kinds of shows, you really have to build an audience before you can throw so much money at it. Game of Thrones is a hit now, but the first season was done rather frugally. They didn't throw a ton of money at it. They let it build, and then as it became more popular, that's when the episodes started having bigger budgets and were able to do much more impressive things, both uh, in production and post-production. So it's one thing to make a show look at like an incredible blockbuster movie from the get-go, but if you don't have the audience to support it, then you're just wasting money. You know, uh, I just I really don't know if this is the best approach, but obviously Amazon has plenty of money to throw around. So more power to him, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, HT, do you think that a, a network or a streaming service like Amazon is essentially boxed in to spending this kind of money in order to compete with their contemporaries? Or is Brad onto something and they should sort of start slower and feed the these projects more money as they gain popularity? I don't know if they're boxed in um, because, you know, there's no guarantee that these projects will be successful in the first place they're kind of putting a lot of money up front for a gamble essentially uh but i mean it it sounds like a really interesting premise but i don't know if i would put uh, a billion dollars on it um and i i feel like it almost feels like a desperate scramble from on amazon's part to sort of match up to game of thrones success which at the beginning wasn't wasn't um predicted to be that huge of success either like big projects like walking dead or game of thrones that became like pop culture phenomenons they weren't created with the intent of being like these will be the biggest thing ever they were just kind of gambles too but not like billion dollar gambles like amazon is doing here yeah chris do you think the three body problem sounds like it has some potential i'm, I'm sort of getting some shades of arrival a little bit from that uh, description do you think this is something you would tune in to check out I mean, it sounds like a neat premise. I don't know if you should spend a billion dollars on it, but uh, I guess we'll have to just wait and see. All right, so that's going to wrap up the news portion of this podcast. I guess I'll go to you guys now and uh, tell me where people can find more of your work online. HT, let's start with you. You can find me on SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBui. Brad? You can find me on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton and also my podcast, Go Flix Yourself, on iTunes and other platforms. And Chris? I'm also at Slash Film. I'm on Twitter at Evangelist 413 I just want to plug uh, my first in a ongoing series of uh, uh, examinations of the 21st century films of Steven Spielberg is now on SlashFilm.com, and I implore you to read it because it took me a long time to write, and I want people to... Uh, check it out. So that's on SlashFilm.com right now. I will link to that in the show notes. It's a really, really great piece, and I'm definitely looking forward to checking out the rest of the work that you have forthcoming in that series. Uh, guys, let's transition now into an on-set interview from Avengers Infinity War, and this is with Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie. And Peter sent me a little note here and said... 
a couple things to note. This was recorded on the set in June 2017. The audio isn't perfect, and the actors were essentially told not to reveal anything to the journalists who were there in the room. Uh, this is completely spoiler-free. It's basically just Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan goofing around and, and cracking jokes the whole time. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Take a listen. Hello, everyone. How's it going? Welcome to Avengers 3. My name is Anthony Mackie. This is Sebastian Stan. If you have any questions, direct them towards us. We will answer them in a timely fashion. Do not ask anything about the movie because we will not answer. <laughs> this will go extremely well and you will enjoy it. We're happy to talk about Wonder Woman. Love. It's great. I haven't seen it. Loved it. Seen. Ladies. I've not seen it. Great job. <laughs> great job. Great job. All of you. Great job. I'm very proud of you. Well, we great know Spocky isn't frozen. You're walking around here, so right. what can we say? Spoilers. Yes. It's not frozen. He was can found you, again. Can you not have your penis behind my head? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is where he's not frozen. Okay. And that's good for someone. Well, we saw the scene. He's already he's in Wakanda. Frozen. What's he doing in Wakanda in the beginning of this film? Hanging out. The same thing he was doing in Wakanda the last time you saw him in Wakanda. Eating Wakandanese food. You know. That's the thing. Dreaming in his little spacecraft. <laughs> um, well, that's the last time we saw him, right? Yeah. yeah. So he's uh, he's just here, finally taken in the scenery, I guess, and the scenery ain't great. Surprise. Does he not involved in Black Panther at all? Because that'll come out by the time this one, right? So we talk about that or no? Ooh, he's whoa. not. I already told you. We already told you. I've congratulated your people and everything. You're messing it up for everybody. So has Falcon been off on these, in between Civil War and Infinity War, has Falcon been with Cap and Widow? We were just talking to Chris and Scarlett about No, we all kind of went on our separate ways. Like after, bless you, after Civil War, this is where you said thank you. See, man. We all kind of went on our separate ways, and we were in hiding uh, because of uh, you know everything that happened in Civil War. So now we get the uh, call to rally, and here we are, Avengers Three. <laughs> what, are you, what, what are you rallying for? Freedom, truth. <laughs> Social liberties and peace with all men and women. <laughs> and Mel Gibson. And Mel Gibson. <laughs> so for this movie, Thanos is, is the big bad guy. Can you tell me what your character is? How do they feel about Thanos? Like, what does the Winter Soldier think about him? What does the Falcon think about him? Winter Soldier's just enjoying his, you know, new arm. And that's really where he's at. Nice arm. Yeah. <laughs> that's, nice that's arm. Where he's at. All looped up and, and ready to uh, And learning information as he goes along, I guess. Well, well, Falcon seems like somebody who's pretty Wait, grounded. Yeah, well, it's like, Falcon answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Middle of a question. No, it's the same thing. <laughs> Who is this? Have y'all met this dude? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking angry Smurf back here. <laughs> <laughs> It's to go off on this question. It's like, yeah, so what, your your character is a very realistic kind of guy. So what does he think when he hears about? this all-powerful being that's going to kill everyone? Um, well, I think, you know, the one thing about Falcon that I've always loved since the beginning of uh, discovering his character and playing him is his military background and his belief that 
you know, he's his job in life is to fight for his fellow man. So when he hears about Thanos and his overall, you know, idea of world destruction, um, he's very disheartened and shaken by it. And uh, he's eager to get into the fight against this super evil, this diabolical demon known as, uh, y'all know who's playing Thanos, right? Yes. Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, when you think of Thanos, think of W. Think of, you know, Dan. <laughs> w H. Brolin. <laughs> he was so great in that movie. Um, yeah, he's a great actor. Sebastian, you carried a lot of emotional trauma in the Civil War. <laughs> Will that that sense started out the same way my therapist used to Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Has he had some therapies in Civil War? Absolutely. Yes. Definitely. Much more. So. Okay. So we won't see much of that in this film. Like, he's a little bit more peppy. You know what? I'll tell you, in the ten pages that I was allowed to read, <laughs> I didn't see that. For the other... No perk. I don't know, 90 to 100 pages that are in this film that I did not read yet. No idea. How do your characters feel getting back together again? Since we know you guys are best buds. We just discovered this was our first scene reuniting, and I thought it was a warm. It was a warm, a warm greeting. I realized he's had a rough few years. He's been frozen. I'm black, so I have an age. <laughs> and uh, we're just surprised to see each other again on a new yeah. mission. Is it another, uh, can you move your seat at the moment? No, no. <laughs> no, but we, I think we kind of found a, 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 good, found, we a found good sequel to that. A good compromise. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's good. Have you done uh, your reun reunion with Kat yet? Is that today, or is that something that's coming out? That also just happened. Yeah. Okay, and what can you say without spoiling? How was that, how did that go? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it went by fast, I'll say that. Uh, you know, felt felt pretty natural. I mean, you know, we weren't we weren't milking the moment or anything. I mean, it's just it's what it is. I think I think the urgency of the circumstances that everybody finds themselves in kind of makes things go a little bit quicker. You know, and milk the fuck out of that moment. <laughs> I mean, <Yeah. laughs> that's what was going on through his. Dude, we get that's it. Fine, but, uh, that's what everybody said on set. Right. <laughs> What about bringing other characters of the Marvel Universe together? I mean, you said you've only read ten pages so far, but looking forward to interacting with uh, specific characters or, or groups? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's certainly going to be challenging, I, I'm sure, because there's so many different tones to, to each of the films, you know, and, and, and that all the characters carry. So I think it'll be interesting to see how tonally everybody kind of fits in, into the same world. I mean, you've, you've shot already some in Scotland, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So, I, I don't know. And, it, the, you know, tonally, the great thing about the movie is how, how it's working now. Everyone kind of... It's not like you see one person who's the lead of the movie. It's truly an ensemble movie and all. I would say if anybody is the lead of the movie, it's Thanos. And it's all of us working around orbiting Thanos uh, because he's such a big bad guy. Like, he's the uber bad guy. He's the worst guy of all bad guys of all time. 
So you can't like put him in three scenes that want a fight scene at the end. You really have to give him his just due. So it's, you know, our relationship and our scenes are more ensemble based and everybody playing with the relationship with each other. What are your character's first reactions to seeing something like a talking raccoon and a giant gun? As usual, I question my own stability <laughs> mentally and whether or not I should have just stayed asleep. <laughs> Things clearly did not get any better. It did not work out well. Well, what has it been like um, to you? They told us for secrecy sake, you guys have been getting taped as like day of. So what is it like trying to build an arc for a character when you don't necessarily know what the scenes are? Well, we have an outline. We have an overall theme and idea of what the movie is. The Russos come to us and tell us where we are in the movie. You know, for an actor, the most important thing is where you're coming from and where you're going to uh, explain what you're doing in that scene. So they always give us that information. Uh, and there's also trust, though, because at this point, I mean, we've been with these characters for so long. That right. I feel like they do trust us to kind of, and, and it's not like you're showing up to a whole new material, you know, you, you are coming in with a history, and that's part of it also helps. Can you guys also elaborate on just how the Russo's have evolved, starting back with our soldier, getting through Civil War, they're almost at the point now where there's a lot of trust in the vision that they bring, so how is their set different, how has it evolved? Well, Anthony Russo's got healthy, lost, dropped a few pounds, <laughs> started riding motorcycles, uh, midlife crisis, baby. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is he really riding horses? Yeah, he's riding bikes now. Wow. It's crazy. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to talk. I don't know. But, <laughs> no, nah, you know, the great thing about their style of directing is it's really um, actor first. It's really supportive of your craft and your process and what you bring to the characters. The best thing about working with Marvel is they know what everyone does well and what you don't do well. So they put you around people who do well what you don't do well. So they put us in a position to win every single time with every single scene. And uh, Marcus, Marcus and McFeely kind of work in that same vein. Um, you know, they know how to get the beats between the two of us. They know how to get the beats between him and Cap. They know how to work uh, Black Panther into it and all of our new found uh, all of our newfound uh, surprise arriving here in Wakanda. So all that's kind of worked in there extremely well. You guys, uh, Thanos is the main character, and you guys are all sort of circling around him. But the Russo's also said that every character sort of does have to have an arc, that it has their own journey to go on. Like, what was it like discovering those of you? Uh, how do you feel about your character's journeys throughout this film? I mean... Feels good. I, I I don't know. I mean, I think uh, it's certainly been a lot more of a stable situation uh, for, for for my guy here, you know, from what we've kind of been used to and stuff. But it's interesting. I'm still finding that honestly. Like I'm I'm really still discovering it because how much of of you know you can't just turn a quick you know like hard right and suddenly yeah. everything's great. You know, it's just there, there's experiences and, and I'm still finding that to be honest. I don't know. I think for me is, you know, it's that continuous line, you know, being a supporter of Cap and where he is and his journey. I kind of uh, enjoy the idea of being along for the ride, step by step. You know, when I first met the Avengers, I was like, holy shit, 
if the Avengers need me, I'm there. You know, and it's just been ridiculous moment after ridiculous moment for me. So, you know, when I walk up and see a Tarkin raccoon, it's just the uber ridiculous moment that's leading to the next ridiculous moment. You know, so it's um, it's always just a fun, a fun journey. My arc is for my character. What's it been like tackling so many new locations? I mean, I don't know how, many, how much you've done, but it seems like this is going to not only different places in the world, but the whole... We're right back where the tarmac was from. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Right. So it's like right. a real strange, because the heat is still here. Yeah. And then it's just some familiar faces and some new ones. But I like Atlanta. I feel like I'm pretty, pretty used to finding out. You know, I, mean, I didn't go to Scotland. Sorry. I heard you guys... Tow it up. Scotland will not be the same. <laughs> Scotland will never be the same. <laughs> Two weeks of night shoots. <laughs> Murder. We blew it up. <laughs> Can you talk about coming in Scotland? Uh, it was great. People in Scotland like to drink. Um, <laughs> a lot. Um, it was great. It was actually a lot of fun. The people were very supportive, uh, very helpful, and really left us alone. I guess what I found so surprising, even in Atlanta, if you try to shoot this movie downtown, there's going to be someone who's going to bother you. The people in Scotland were just like, just don't block my pub. <laughs> don't block my pub, we're good. Make me an access route to my pub and out of my pub. So it was it was dope. We had a very good time. Is that where Falcon was hiding out? <laughs> nope. <laughs> I was gonna say like I feel like Falcon might stick out in Scotland. A little, a little bit. A little, believe me, everywhere I went, everybody knew where I was. Probably so put it that way. Probably in a good way. Right. Just like Beijing. <laughs> everywhere I went. That's fun. Thirty minutes later, where's Anthony? You know, somebody said they saw somebody. Yeah, yeah, that was him. <laughs> Pretty much, it's like where's Waldo? Me, it's like where's brother? You guys talk about how the team, the name Avengers, and how the team is perceived by the community in these movies now. We've gone through some issues where the team, the power of superheroes brings you know, damage to cities. Civil War, the team was sort of divided. But how do people feel about the Avengers and when they need a global threat? Like Which people? Protection? The people in the film? In the film. Uh, I don't think they feel too bad given what they're what they're seeing. Maybe, maybe for some people, uh, as it's happening in our own life, you know, you pick the least worst situation. You know, when both things are necessarily maybe one is really horrible and the other one's a little bit like, well, we don't know. So, but uh, Avengers is always going to stand for, I think, more good than than something negative. And where we were in, you know. Civil War, we didn't have the best uh, morale support from the people because we were dropping cities on their babies. But now, you know, people are starting to rally around us again. They realize the importance of who we are. Am I boring you? No, I'm sorry. Is that okay? Are you, am I making, are you, no, are you all right? I'm, you need some water? I'm really sorry. It's are you all right? I'm fine. You want soda water? Someone a little bit of Everyone gets to be mad at me the rest of the day. <laughs> Sorry, I just, was, uh, no, it's, I, no, it's okay. all, I mean, you know, could be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, nothing to do is, with y'all, um, but this last question. Is there, oh, wow. <laughs> is there a lot of, like, destruction on Earth? Is that what people are scared of, that, that they're willing to take out to support the Avengers? The 
Did you see Civil War? Apart. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't see it. It's pretty good. Pretty good. I heard the black is great, but that's what I heard. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. He was pretty good. So is that a yes? This is your life. Yeah. Well, this is also planets and universes and all kinds of stuff. So I think it's a little bit more than just. Like on the planet. Making sure my lighter works with what you do? <laughs> it's kind of a fun little thing. You're not supposed to flick another man's lighter, though. Why is that bad luck? You guys need a movie together. Exactly. Thank you so much, guys. That's going to do it for today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find more about all the stories we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked here in the show notes. The podcast is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find at SlashFilm.com. Feel free to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Please leave your name and general geographic location in case we do end up mentioning your email on the air. And be sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. That really helps us out a lot. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you all tomorrow.